Jesus. God isn't calling us to be perfect people. He's calling us to be better, not bestest, if that's even a word. So we're being ta- we've been talking about how to get healthier in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the areas that we've been looking at so far, right here. Physical health, financial health, emotional health, relational health, and spiritual health. We've already looked at the first three, physical health. We took a couple weeks, looked at that. We took, took a look at what the Bible says about getting healthy financially. And then for the past couple of weeks, getting healthy emotionally. And all of those sermons are online. If you want to go ahead and take a look at that, by the way, it's also a very good way to keep in track of what's going on within the church. If you go to, what's the website now? www.salemfirst.com. Not .org, not just .com. www.salemfirst.com. And you can look at the calendar, see what's coming up. And then also there is a little button you can push called podcast. And every sermon is there. As a matter of fact, we have most of the sermons going back to the year 2011. I think we've got four years on there. In case you're really looking for some material to help you sleep at night, I hear they work wonders for you. Anyway, there you go. So anyway, you can take a look at those. We've already looked at physical, financial, and emotional. Ah, This morning we start talking, uh, we start taking a look at relational health. And we're going to start almost at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Here we go. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 1, verses 20. Okay, you ready? We're into your sermon notes now. Write this down. Here we go. I am created in the image of God. Now, what does it Does it mean that God looks like us? No. God is spirit. God doesn't have a body. He can't look like us. Whenever the scripture talks about the finger of God or the eye of God, it's, it's using what's called an anthropomorphism. Aren't you glad you came to church to learn that word? Anthropomorphism. And it just means taking human characteristic and kind of laying it on something that isn't human. God doesn't have a finger. If if God had a finger, does that mean God stops here and then what happens here? There's no God. Except we know what? God is everywhere. So he can't have a limit. The finger of God is just a saying. When we say we were created in the image, we don't mean he looks like us. Now, no other species on earth has been created in this image. Only human beings. So, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? A couple of things. Ready? Here we go. First of all, I am a moral being who can choose. How do we know this? Because God said, when I'm going to create these human beings, I'm going to give them dominion. I want them to rule over the whole of the earth. And you cannot rule unless you can choose. You have to be able to think to reason, to decide, and to choose. Animals don't do that. Animals don't live that way. Only human beings. We are moral. We have the ability to choose. But there's something else about being in the image of God. Because God said, let us Make man in what? Our. Did he say, let me make God in my image? No, he said what? Let us make man in our image. And yet we're in the image of God. So he's not talking about angels. 
He's not talking about any other spiritual being. He's talking about himself because we're in his image, and yet he uses the plural, let us make man in our image. I am created in the image of God because of this right here. I am created to live in healthy relationships. That's why I'm here. There may be some animals that are solitary, whatever, maybe you have a dog, and I don't know, but human beings are created to be in healthy relationship. This is why we know this. Are you ready? God exists as a trinity, doesn't he? Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, how does he do that? I have no idea. Please don't ask me to explain it to you. God is a mystery to me. And aren't you glad? I mean, stop for a moment. If I could fully explain God to you, if God could be fully comprehended by human mind, by my human mind, that either makes me really great or God really small. The fact is God is so great and so different that we cannot comprehend who he is. So when we say he, he exists as a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, people say, how is that possible? We go, I don't know, ask him. One day maybe we'll all find out, we'll all get up there and go, oh, so that's how it worked. I don't know, I just know that he does, which is why he refers to himself in the plural. Let us make man in our image. God exists in perfect unity, in perfect relationship with himself, always, 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 except perhaps once. The theologians would tell us, and I'm not a theologian, the theologians would tell us that there was probably one time and one time only that God did not exist in perfect relationship and harmony with himself. When was that? The cross. Why? What happened on the cross? Jesus died on the cross. We know that, but what happened? Think scripturally. What happened? Those of you who know the word, what happened? Jesus bore our sins, didn't he? But more than that, what does Scripture say? He became sin. Take a look at that. Jesus became sin for us. And at that moment, according to the theologians, that relationship between the Father and the Son was somehow altered for a while. That God had to turn away his face for the first time in all of eternity and it hit Jesus so hard that he cried out, remember? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means what? My God, my God. Why have you, for, could you imagine? Perfect relationship. Perfect harmony. For all eternity. And in one moment, you become sin. Every sin that's ever happened every sin that's going to happen to you, embodiment of every rebellion against God. And the Father has to turn his face for a brief instant. And Jesus feels the weight. Separation. Broken relationship. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Other than that, however, in that moment, according to the theologians and, of course, what we see, God, God has always lived in healthy, perfect relationship with himself. And when he creates us, he creates us to live in loving, healthy relationship because I am created in his image. Which is why, by the way, just a few verses later, he says this. God said, 
it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper and a companion. There it is. Now we're in Genesis. We're still in the very beginning. God said, okay, I've created this person, but they're in my image and I live in relationship. Well, they have to live in a relationship too. That's why I created them. It's not good for them to be all alone. And then, do you remember what happens next? By the way, we don't have it up here. Those of you who remember, God brings all the animals that he created, male and female, and brings them to Adam, and he gets to name them and realizes, Adam realizes that, uh, but then it says, by the way, there was no helper found suitable for Adam. Think about that. Do you really think that God was trying to try out some of these animals for Adam? That, that God thought, you know, oh, the porcupine might work, or, you know, the camel. What do you think, Adam? No, the only person that needed to know that he was alone and needed help was who? Adam. Men have been that stupid ever since. Ladies, I apologize. <laughs> I really do. But if you think your husband is dumb, we've been that way from the beginning. So um, we were created for companionship. That's the way God worked it. Ready? All right. Now, some of us are, are people persons, if, you, if that's even a phrase. You just love large groups. You love to be here. Lots of friends. You've got a thousand likes on Facebook, whatever it is, you know, because you just have that huge. Some of us are a little more solitary, needing one or two or just a few close friends and acquaintances. But still in all, every single one of us needs someone. Everybody needs someone because we are created for relationship and we seek it out even in some of the strange ways. How many of you have ever seen the movie Castaway? Ever seen that? Tom Hanks gets cast away on an, on an island, and he's just, for most of the movie is Tom Hanks all by himself. It's an interesting movie, by the way. It's very, very good. But Tom Hanks can't stand being alone, so what does he do? He creates a whole other person called what? Wilson, who is a volleyball, as I recall, something like that, yeah. He needed companionship so much that he took this volleyball or whatever it was and put a handprint on it and put some spiky little hair from a palm tree and talked to that thing for the rest of the movie. Strange? Yes. But there it is. We're not created to be alone. Some of us don't need many people. Some of us need a lot of people. But none of us was created to be all alone. We are created for relationship. Let me show you biblically the benefits of healthy relationship, okay? Take a look at this passage. This is from the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes is interesting because Solomon is old at this point and uh, he's tried several things within his life to try to find happiness and what works. And the book of Ecclesiastes, while it can be a downer of a book because it keeps saying, you know, everything you think is important is pretty meaningless, that's not really an you know, uplifting kind of thought for the day. Until you get to the very end of the book, great book, but he does point out the fact that uh, some of the things that we do just are worthless. And this is what he says. I turned my head and saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness. In other words, here's another thing that really doesn't mean much and doesn't make a lot of sense. A solitary person, completely alone, no children, no family, no friends, yet working obsessively late into the night, compulsively greedy for more and more, never bothering to ask, why am I working like a dog, never having any fun? And who cares? More smoke, a bad business. It is better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other one helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. Two in a bed warm each other. Alone, you shiver all night. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. 
Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. We need relationship. We need other people. This is what, here's some benefits. Ready? How about this? First of all, someone to help us because there are times that we all, what is that song? We all need somebody to lean on. Yeah. Lean on me when you're not strong. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, there it is. You know, we need each other. We need help. This last week, I got several phone calls from people who just needed help. They were feeling lonely. Vicki Schilt didn't call me. I actually heard it through the grapevine, so to speak, and went to see her. And we promised that when she got out of the hospital, we'd sit down and we'd talk a little bit more. What a thing to face. Pancreatic cancer. Pity that people have to face it alone. But the good news is she doesn't. She got you. She has us. And we will walk with her. So someone to help. And then how about this? Not just someone to help us, but someone to help. We need to help other people. That that's really some of the things that, that brings us fulfillment. Yeah, we always need help from people around us, but we need to be able to feel useful and needed and wanted. We need someone to help, and that's what healthy relationships do. It's not just about taking and receiving. So much of our purpose is found in giving and helping. They did some research. Ready? Let me just read it for you. Students who performed five acts of kindness a day increase their own personal happiness. Now, it, well, they didn't say students who got five things the way they wanted every day. No, it said students who, who performed five acts of kindness a day increased their own personal health. Providing emotional support to others significantly decreased the harmful health effects of certain kinds of stress among older people. As we get older and the stress comes in and our health begins to fade, they discovered that people who actually help other people are healthier. They're able to deal with that stress. People who donated money to charity got a boost in the feel-good part of the brain as revealed in brain imaging research. I hope that's where you are. I hope that when we give, there's something that goes, yeah, I like this, instead of, oh, here we go again. I could really use that money back. But when we learn to be generous and we help, we need help from other people, but we need to help. And you cannot help other people unless you're in relationship with other people. How about this as a benefit? Someone to share the burdens. And here we're not just talking about actual help. I mean just someone who says, I know and I care. I can't do anything about it. But I know what you're going through. And I care what happens. Another benefit. Someone to share the joys. You ever try to have a birthday party by yourself? Not a lot of fun. Any kind of party by yourself? No fun. Jesus told the story of a couple of people. One was a, was a lady who found her lost coin. And then he also tells the story of, of a man who found his lost son. And both of them do exactly the same thing. As soon as they find him, what do they do? They throw a party. They call up their friends and say, hey, let's get together and celebrate. I have found my lost coin. I have found my lost son. Let's celebrate. Or you're going through something that's joyful. You want friends and family around you to share that. And all that means we need to be in good, healthy relationship. But let's stop right there.
Because here's the problem. Many of us are not in a healthy relationship, are we? In fact, for many of us, we don't even really know what that means. Some of us move from unhealthy relationship to unhealthy relationship. While healthy relationships bring us all the benefits we've been talking about, someone to help us, someone that we can help, and sharing the burden and sharing the joy, just as Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes, unhealthy relationships bring us some of our greatest pain and probably almost all of our greatest emotional pain. We do have a need for healthy relationships. We were created for healthy relationships. That's one of the reasons we exist. When you're in an unhealthy relationship, it's like having a need for good food only to discover that it's been poisoned. Healthy relationships are such a source of of what's good and right. But unhealthy relationships are such a major source of what is wrong and so much misery. So for the rest of our time here this morning and in concluding next Sunday, because we're taking two Sundays in each one of these, we're going to talk about what the Bible says about being in a healthy relationship and taking my relationship and making it even more healthy than it is. In other words, getting healthier in my relationships. Ready? All right. Next week we'll get really, really practical. Today, maybe not quite as listy, but next week we will. Write this down. This is very, very important. Here we go. First thing the Bible tells us is I can't repair my relationship with others till I repair my relationship with myself. And here's the key. Here's where we start. If you're not starting there, no wonder you're healthy, your relationships aren't healthy. It has to start right here. Do you have a relationship with yourself? Well, of course you do. Remember last week what we talked about? Your self-talk. What do you say to yourself about yourself? That tells me your relationship. I am so stupid. That tells me something about your relationship. So ugly. So fat. Nobody likes me. Well, that tells me something about your relationship with yourself. And if you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself, you cannot have a healthy relationship with anybody else. In fact, according to the Bible, not only do you have to be in that health, not only do you have to like yourself, you must love yourself to really be in a healthy relationship with someone else. Let me show you right here. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Read that with me. Ready? If you are really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. What does it mean to love your neighbor as? What does that little word as mean? Come on, you get to talk to me. Why is that there? It means to what? To the same degree, doesn't it? You have to love yourself to be able to love someone else because you can't love, you can only love these other people out here to the same degree that you love yourself. And this isn't the only time he says it. 
throughout Scripture, at least nine times in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see this written. Even Old Testament said it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The starting point to loving your neighbor is being in a healthy relationship with yourself. And this phrase, you know, loving yourself, we actually have a, and a relationship with yourself, we actually have a, a phrase that describes it. It's called self-esteem. You ever heard that word? People with a poor relationship with themselves have low self-esteem. People with a healthy relationship with themselves have a good self-esteem. Proper, healthy. It's how you see yourself. It's the relationship you have with yourself. People with a poor relationship, poor self-esteem. Let me show you what happens when uh, we have that poor self-esteem. As it works out in other relationships. Take a look at this. This is what happens. First of all, because you have a low self-esteem, you place the burden on other people to make you feel better about yourself. Do you know anybody like that? You ever done it? It's your job to make me happy. I'm not happy with me. So I'm going to make you responsible for making me happy. And by the way, you're doing a lousy job. So straighten up. Or how about this? People with low self-esteem, unhealthy relationship with themselves, they're shifting the power in a relationship so that you do what it takes to please the other person. Been in one of those? You know people like that? I'll give you power over me. I will do what you want so that you will like me because it's very important that you like me because if you don't like me, it hurts me. So I'm going to give you power over me. How about this? Accepting poor treatment because you feel like you do not deserve any better. These are people who live in abusive relationships. Find them, keep them, and move from one abusive relationship to the next because I don't deserve any better. Did you hear the self-talk? The lies? The bad relationship with myself? I'm trash. I deserve to be trashed. How about this? Becoming upset every time another person rejects you because your sense of self-worth is, is tied to how the other person really feels about you. These are people who have to be liked by everybody. What a burden there'll be some people that just don't like you. I don't know why, but there it is. Here's what happens when we don't have a good relationship with ourselves. It works out in all of our other relationships. That's why Jesus said that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's why in the Old Testament, the New Testament, we just saw in James, you love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to improve your relationships, you start by improving your relationship with yourself. Are you ready? Let's move on to the next thing. I can't repair my relationship with myself till I repair my relationship with God because that's where it all comes down from. We were first created. We were created in a great relationship with Him. We were created in perfect harmony with ourselves, with other people, with all of nature, and with God. We as a human race turned our back on God. And when we did that, all of this was broken. And so much of what I really felt guilty about and my conscience was bothered about was the things that I had done that I knew I should not have done or the things that I should have done and I know that I didn't do them. And all of those weighed down on me. 
One of the reasons we have such a low opinion of ourselves is because we know how far we've fallen and we know how we've failed. Take a look at this. David writes, I know my transgressions. My sin's always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justify when you... I, I know it. Now there are some people out there who, who've covered it all and, and they just can't accept that they've done it and so they, they created this little fantasy and fairy tale world where they've never done anything wrong and they're perfect people. Those are mentally ill individuals and I don't have much to say to them at this particular point. But for the rest of us, do I really have to sit down with you and tell you where you've sinned? I don't. You know why? You know, don't you? No one's got to tell you. You can look back over your life and go, whoa. Whoa. What's the self-talk that, that David is spewing right here? I'm a lousy, rotten sinner. And if all of us were honest, we could relate to that. See, to be in a healthy relationship, I, I can't think this, I can't be here because I'm so down on myself that I really can't give myself to anybody else. I have to love my neighbor as myself. And yet, I know that I've really messed up. I need to repair my relationship with God. But here's the problem, you ready? Write this down, huge. I can't repair my relationship with God. Now, if that doesn't bring you down this morning, I don't know what will. There is no more. This is it. I can't. Neither can you. You can't do it. Some of us have tried. I need that great relationship with God so I can be in a good relationship with myself, but I can't repair my relationship with God. It's so broken I can't fix it. People have been trying from the very beginning. We actually have a word for when people try to fix their relationship with God. You know what, we, you know what that word is? Religion. That's the word we use to describe people's attempts to repair their relationship with God. And it doesn't work, it has never worked, and it never will. I preached a sermon at you many years ago called Why Jesus Hates Religion. Look it up online. Religion is our attempt to do something down here that will finally make God like us. When, when someone is pursuing, let's say there's, there's a guy out there and he's pursuing some lady and he's doing all these wonderful things you know, to make her love him. and that's, What he's doing would be a religious attempt to win her love. And that's what we've done. Oh, man, we'll, we'll offer this sacrifice. We'll, we'll bring this money. We'll read this Bible. We'll be good here. We'll be really, really good. We'll be super good. I'll go to church or I'll join the synagogue or I'll do whatever it is going to do. I'm going to do all of these things and God will like me and my relationship, which I know is broken, will be repaired because I do all this stuff and Scripture says, eh, and work. Never had never will. The prophet Micah discovered this. Got really frustrated. Take a look at this passage. Micah's writing and he says, okay, 
what does God want from me? How am I going to make God happy? Because that's the question here, okay? To heal our relationship, we want to be able to, okay, I've got to push away all the stuff that I've done wrong, and I want to make him happy, so we'll be in really good friends, just bosom buddies like this. And he says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? What can I do to make God like me and to be in that good relationship? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Okay, people did that. But that's not enough. It doesn't seem to, to work for me. So will, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? By the way, that's going to cost a whole lot of money. With 10,000 rivers of oil? Maybe if I just need to give more and be more you know, of, a, of an offering to him. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my... He's lost it here, okay? Here's a prophet who's lost it. What do you want from me? You ever say that to God? It's broken here. How do I fix that? And comes that horrible realization, realization that um, I can't. It's broken. You ready for some good news now? I figured I'd get to the good news eventually, right? As a matter of fact, this is so good news that we even have a word for it. It's called gospel. And gospel means what? Good news, that's all it means. Gospel is from the old English word. It means good news. Here's the good news right here. Write this down. This is so important. I don't have to because God did it for me in Jesus Christ. All right, I can't repair my relationship with God, but I don't have to because God did it for me in Jesus. What you couldn't do and what I couldn't do, what nobody on the planet could do, God already did through his son, Jesus Christ. God wants our relationship fixed more than we want it fixed. But he also knows that we can't do it. It's not possible. There's not enough money, there's not enough time, there's not enough devotion to fix what's broken. So God said, don't worry about it. Tell you what, I'll do it for you. Our Father knows us so well. He loves us so much. He knows that we need that healthy relationship with Him, but He knows that we can't do it. So He did it for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And you know what you really had to do with that? Nothing. You know how I know that? Look at this. This is what the Bible says. Talking about that salvation. We had nothing to do with it. It was all His idea a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. But we know it now. Since the appearance of our Savior, nothing could be plainer. Death defeated. Life vindicated in a steady blaze of light all through the work of Jesus. 2 Timothy right there. There it is. This is what happened. God said, look, you can't do it. I have an idea. It's not even your idea. It's my idea. You probably don't even want it. I want it. I will do it for you. I will send my son. Someone's got to pay for your sin, and you can't. Some of you don't even want to, but you can't. I'll send my son, and he'll do it. And someone's got to defeat death. Death came into this world because of sin. Someone's got to conquer that. Someone's got to be able to live forever, and you can't do that. My son can't. So I'll send him, and not only will he pay for the sin, but then he will defeat the very thing you're frightened of. We'll raise him from the dead, and he will never, ever die again. And when you join with him, 
When you receive him, the price he paid becomes your price. The death he died becomes your death. The life he lives becomes your life. And our relationship is fixed. And you didn't do a thing. Except say, yes. Okay. Okay. I want that. I want my relationship with you to be repaired. I want it. And I can't get there. And your son did it for me. And I'll take what he so freely gives to me. And you got nothing to do with it. Your relationship with God is repaired. And when that relationship with God is repaired, guess what happens? The you that used to be there, the you that broke that relationship, the you that kept you apart from God because of the sin and the transgression, all of that goes away like that. And here's what happens. In Jesus, I can love the new me that he has created. See, apart from Jesus, I didn't love the me at all. There was nothing lovely to love. Apart from Jesus Christ, I know who I am, and I know what I'm capable of, and I know what I can do, and it's not very pretty. But my relationship with God was repaired because of Jesus Christ, and when that happened, the sin that I had committed was gone. The transgressions, the relationship repaired, and I become something completely new and different. I can understand nobody liking me before, But now I stand as a child of God. Take a look at this passage right here. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though if anyone is in Christ, he's a new Christian. Now, let me stop right there. That's what happened before. Before we looked at other people, we looked at ourselves from a worldly point of view. You're good, you're bad, you did this wrong, you're not perfect, you're icky, whatever it is. That's how we saw ourselves. But then all of a sudden, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Read that with me. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. One more time together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this, my friends, is your idea? No. Your effort? No. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God who said, your relationship with me is broken. Let's fix it. You can't do it. I'll do it for you. My son, Jesus Christ. And when it's all done, not only is our relationship fixed, but you are a brand new person. And because you are a brand new person, you know what else? You can love yourself because you're lovely. Your sins are forgiven. Now, are you a work in progress? Of course you're a work in progress. But who I was before is gone. And God begins to make something brand new. Slate wiped clean. A new creation in Jesus Christ. Now with that knowledge, I can begin to love myself. Not because I'm perfect. I am not. And you know that well. But because I'm clean in Jesus Christ and on the road to recovery. 
and I like what he's done in my life, and I love who he's made me to be right now, and I will love who he's going to make me to be in 10 years from now, and I'm going to continue to grow in him, and I love what God is doing in me, and because I know my Father loves and accepts me, I'm not afraid to give myself to you. I don't have to to hide. I have a good, healthy relationship with myself because my Father has cleaned me up and forgiven me. And because I have a good, healthy relationship with myself, I can have a good, healthy relationship with someone else because I can only love someone else as I love myself. You see why we had to take this morning to start right here? It's got to be with your relationship with God. If your relationship with God isn't right, you're not going to love yourself. And if you aren't going to love yourself, then you can't be in a healthy relationship. And if your relationship with God is right, could I ask you, why don't you love yourself? If God loves you, who are you to not love you? I'm serious. If God loves you, who are you to not love you? How can you look at God and say, well, of course, but I have such better taste than you do. My taste is so much more refined. You may love me, but I, I'm, my standards are so much higher than your standards, God. Yuck! What are you talking about? God loves you. What's not to love? Well, you have some work to go. Okay, you got some work to go. God knows that. You know that. Work on it. But if you don't love yourself through Jesus Christ, you can't love others. Now next week when we get back together, I'm going to give you the specific things that we need to do to be able to make our relationships healthy, but it starts right here. So here's what I want to do before we move into what we call Selah. Selah is our time that says think about it. It just means we're going to take the next five or ten minutes or so. Altars are going to be open. We have communion elements for those who want to receive. Uh, You can be a first-time visitor. We serve what's called open communion. You can come and receive the elements or not. Some week people come almost every week and some people only every now and that's completely up to them. Altars would be open if you want to come and and pray. And then Jack DeMarco. Jack is an incredible man of prayer. Isn't he great? He'd love to pray for you. But before we get there, I need to ask you a question. Are you in a right relationship with God? Jesus did this for you. But that doesn't mean that you've received it. I could go out of my way and buy you a $250,000 house, pay the entire price. I won't, but I could. And hand you the keys and say, here it is. But that wouldn't do any good until what? You took the keys. It's the same thing. There's nothing you can do. Jesus gave it to you. You want it? If you've received it, hallelujah, great, good job. If not, what's stopping you today from just saying, Jesus, yeah, I've been trying to win your approval through all these things I do and it's been driving me nuts. I can't do it. You did it for me. It's mine. When you do that, you become a brand new person in Christ and there is nothing in you that you can't love. Father, thank you so much as we just look to you now. 
I'm praying for those people who at this very moment still haven't made that decision. Give them the courage to make that decision in Jesus Christ. Amen. Those who are going to help me with communion, if you come forward, please.